On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we chat with Maryland third baseman A.J. Lee about his hot hitting over the last month, his time in the Alaskan League last summer, and his walk-up music. Plus, Justin and I select a Terp of the Week and look at whether or not Maryland could sweep the yearly conference awards. Finally, a look ahead at Michigan State, who the Terps host this coming weekend. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Justin Galanti, and I'm Jake Eisenberg. Thanks for joining us this week. Big week to break down, Justin. Another sweep for the Terps at home. Terps are now 15-1 and in home games this season. They've been protecting the Bob, as we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And while we saw breakout weeks and series from guys like Zach Jankarski, Marty Costas, and A.J. Lee, really maybe had one of the biggest weeks of his Maryland career. So really right off the top here, I want to kind of discuss who you think our Maryland player of the week is our Terp of the week for the baseball team. Right. I mean, if you have to choose one person, I would go with Zach Jankarski because I thought he had a great week in every game. All five Maryland played, had a couple hits against West Virginia, a couple more against George Mason, hit the game-tying home run in the ninth on Friday against Penn State, and then was all over the base paths again on Saturday and Sunday. Lee had turned into you know, Hank Aaron on Sunday. He was unbelievable. Same with Marty Costas, but based on the depth of the whole week, I'd have to give Jankarski the edge. So look, you're looking at consistency, really, and, and Jankarski was really the picture of consistency. He had three multi-hit games in the five that were played this week, West Virginia, George Mason, and then the three against Penn State. Also scored seven runs. He went 11 for 23, stole three bases as well, or, or two bases, rather. He really had a, a strong overall week. But you look at a guy like A.J. Lee, and you look at the numbers, he hit 467 in these five games. He went 7 for 15. Yes, four of those hits did come on Sunday, as did both of his home runs and, you know, five of his six RBIs. So if you want to look at the week, I guess A.J. really had one enormous game and then four other games that were solid but nothing mind-blowing. Um, and I think you can say the same thing about Marty Costas, who's another guy that, you know, you kind of look at as maybe a, a player of the week in his own right. He hit 421 this week, went 8 for 19, a home run, 10 RBIs, only Maryland Terp in double digits in that category for this week, had more walks than strikeouts this week. I mean, I think there's a case to be made for Marty Costas here as well for Terp of the week. I mean, went 3 for 3 against George Mason with 4 RBIs, 4 for 6 with 5 RBIs on Sunday. I think you could easily say Marty Costas is the Terp of the Week. No, it's a it's a good point. Um, Costas was huge on Sunday. On Friday and Saturday, he didn't have a hit, so that was a little bit down by his standards, which are pretty high so far this season. And Lee was obviously outstanding. The argument can be made for him, too. And one thing that we talked a lot about this weekend, I know you weren't there, um, but the fact that Maryland has a nine-hitter, that's such a good hitter and brings something offensively. We've seen so many teams throughout the season, you and I have, where you get to 7, 8, 9 in the order and the batting averages are near or under 100. I mean, you're getting nothing from that spot. And Maryland really does from A.J. Lee. It's like in Little League where you tell the 9 hitter, you say, no, you're our second leadoff guy, right? Well, in Little League, that's not true. That kid can't hit. But <laughs> at Maryland, it's true. A.J. Lee flips the order over, and if he gets on base for Jankarski, it really gets things going for the Terps because Jankarski, he's on base more often than anybody this year. Well, A.J. Lee is our guest on the podcast on this 33rd episode, and that's actually something that, that we talk about with A.J. a little bit, how he's hitting in that nine hole and 
well, he's a little bit protected in some ways by the guys at the top of the order because once the order goes through once, it's not so much of an order anymore. It's basically where everyone else kind of ends up in terms of how many outs there are. Um, it's not necessarily starting one through nine every time. So when you get down to number nine and A.J. Lee, well, Zach Jankarski's right behind him, and right behind him, Brandon Gum, and right behind Gum, Marty Costas, and right behind Costas, Nick Dunn. And these are all guys who have been swinging the bat phenomenally this season, especially Jankarski, Costas, and Gum, all of them batting over 300. Marty Costas is tied for first in the Big Ten and hits second in the league in batting average. He's hitting 369. I mean, these are guys having unbelievable seasons. Costas absolutely has been huge for the Terps this year. Had a great freshman year, but has really taken the next step as a sophomore to become probably the best hitter on the team. Gum, and he even mentioned it to us last week, he thought of himself as kind of an unknown, but what the Terps have gotten from him is unbelievable, to be honest. And when you have that Lee Jankarski situation, it makes it that much more attractive to have Gum hitting second because then he can have two guys on base just the same way if, as if he were batting fourth. Well, I think you look at a guy like Marty Costison, and I agree overall that I think our Terp of the week is Zach Jankarski with the week that he had, you know, hitting over 450, you know, double-digit hits, three multi-hit games. The consistency is what gives Jankarski that player of the week nod from us. But I think taking a closer look at Marty Costas, he's a guy who is very much in contention for Big Ten Player of the Year. A guy who's, as we mentioned, second in the league in batting average, tied for first in the league in hits. He's got eight home runs this year. That's top five in the league. He's got 31 RBIs. His on-base percentage is 450. I mean, he's putting up numbers that are, quite frankly, astounding. He is. And yesterday, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but... He got through his first four at-bats and was a home run shy of the cycle, and the game was out of hand, so it kind of looked like Marty was taking some big hacks shooting <laughs> for that cycle. But he's Well, well, we learned we learned post-game that apparently uh, he got jinxed a little bit by the strength coach, Esteban Doria, who, oh, who, no. made, who made a mention of the possibility. I've actually never heard that as a jinx before. I mean, I feel like, I feel like ball players look at everything as a jinx. That's fair. Um, and I've... We've had this discussion before about, you know, when you're on air, whether or not you say there's a perfect game or you say there's a no-hitter. I've always taken the approach that nothing I say or do can affect the outcome on the field in any way, so I don't necessarily believe in the broadcaster jinx, but I'm certainly wary of it. I mean, I'm a very superstitious person. I mean, after I take an exam and somebody asks me how it was, I won't answer until I get it back because I feel like if I say I did well, I mean, after the exam, there is nothing I can do to change the grade. And I will say, I will not say I thought I did well until I get it back because I feel like I won't do well. Oh, see, that's why I say I did poorly on every exam. So I'm always lower expectations. I lower my expectations, so I'm always pleased when I get it back. Well, that's good. I mean, you know the old saying, right? C's get degrees, and right. I mean, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, I've never been on the call of a game that has gone very deep with a no hitter or a perfect game, so I haven't been in that situation. So I don't quite know how I would handle it the way I look at it uh, I wouldn't use the word no hitter or perfect game right I would you'd say find ways they to don't say have right. a hit they don't have a hit they haven't had a man on base right because no one's getting mad if you don't say it but people might get mad if you do say absolutely it. now this happened this summer there was a combined no hitter pitched against Chatham by Harbors and it was actually a guy that uh, by a couple of guys that Maryland saw earlier this season on Notre Dame it was Peter Solomon Brad Bass was in the mix both of them Notre Dame relievers and they were among four guys that, that threw a no-hitter. And I think it's a, it's different when it's the opposing team. 
Right. Like, you're, you're okay with maybe jinxing it or, or having right. it go the other way. And the way. combined no-hitter is kind of a Bush League thing, too. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, you're no. a Mets fan. They almost got combined no-hit last That's night. True. You, you That's true. You would have said that wasn't Well, they real. took out Straley. He had the no-hitter going. I know. And, uh, I mean, you sh- you might need to uh, get a little worried if Dan Straley's throwing a couple no-hit innings against your team. It's okay. But going back going back to Maryland, yes. Marty Costas is playing – he – He's playing like an All-American this season, and I think having Jankarski getting on base at the clip he is in front of him. Jankarski's on base percentage these past five games was 520. Got on base more times than he didn't, as did A.J. Lee, 556, and Marty Costas, 500. I mean, that's a that's a recipe for success, and that's why the Terps are 24-11, and 9-3 in the Big Ten, second in the league. I mean, look, Maryland had the Big Ten Pitcher of the Week this year, and we haven't even mentioned him yet that's for true. Terp of the Week. That's I mean, true. that's amazing. And you talk about Big Ten Player of the Year. I think there's a pretty good shot the Terps sweep the awards this year. Big Ten Player of the Year, Big Ten Pitcher of the Year with Schaefer. And Tyler Blome could be Big Ten Freshman of the Year. I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, whether or not Maryland had a shot to win one of these awards because it's not something that Maryland has won yet. Despite being very close a couple times, Schwarn was kind of robbed of that Pitcher of the Year award in 2015 by Tyler Jay, who had a phenomenal run of success with, with the Fighting Illini. And then, you know, Brian Schaefer last year also didn't win Pitcher of the Year. Cody Sedlock, again, won from the Illini. But this year, Schaefer, a 1.83 ERA, he's 4-2, first in the Big Ten in strikeouts, first in the Big Ten in innings pitched, batting average against is 194. That's also top five in the conference. I think he is the front runner for Pitcher of the Year. I think he has to be. And also, if you look at who he's pitched against and pitched so well against, I mean, he probably got outpitched a little bit by Jake Hohensey last Friday in Nebraska, but he certainly outpitched Jasky here against Michigan. So he's done it against the best competition in the conference. And also outpitched Sal Biasi. Right. This well, past Friday. Well, I don't I, know about you, that. I think you can say that. Biasi uh, ended I, up giving <laughs> up back to back home runs on back to back pitches in the ninth. Look, I mean,. Yeah, I mean, you can say that. Um, Schaefer gave up one home run. Fiasi gave up two. Yes, but I think Maryland's lineup is far and away better than Penn State's lineup. Right, but that's you know not something necessarily that no, shows up yeah, in the box score. But, I mean, look, you take out two pitches to Salbiasi through a shutout. I you know, take out, I one, know you you take out one pitch, and so did Brian Schaefer. No, I know it's fair. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making de- playing right. devil's advocate here. Right. But the point being that Schaefer, I think, is a clear frontrunner for Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. Big Ten Player of the Year is a very interesting conversation that I don't know we can have a full discussion on quite yet because there are guys like Alex Troop, who Maryland will see this coming weekend, who plays both ways from Michigan State. He's their ace, and he's among their best hitters. We saw Jake Myers in Nebraska pitched phenomenally in that Sunday game and also had a pretty good series offensively. He's been struggling a little bit more offensively, but those two-way guys, especially the ones that pitch really, really well, they're looked at very favorably for these conference player of the year awards. Right, and I think there are some guys out in Ann Arbor who might have an argument in this conversation as well, but the two-way guys, you bring an added dimension to your team that just other people can't. And look, it doesn't take anything away from what Costas has done or other guys who have had outstanding seasons, but when you can bring something on the mound and in the field, it certainly gives you a leg up on the competition. Right, I mean, I mean, taking a look just at freshman of the year now, Tyler Blum has had a terrific freshman season. Six and three, he's had a decision in all nine of his starts. Not that I noticed that, that's very not weird. That decisions really matter all that much. I'm more concerned with a strong 2.76 ERA, 44 strikeouts to just 19 walks in 45 innings. 
an opposing batter average of 200. I mean, he's doing freshman things as a pitcher that put him in the conversation for pitcher of the year, much less freshman of the year. Right, and he stepped up in his first Saturday start of the year this weekend, beating Penn State was very, very good, and he's also starting to give the Terps more length, made it seven innings for just the second time all year. Now, I noticed that as well. The only guy in the Big Ten, really, that might give Bloom a bit of a run at freshman of the year so far is Skyler Hunter uh, on Purdue, who's currently hitting 350. On base percentage is up there too at 394, but I think Bloom as a pitcher and what he's done as an integral part of a Maryland team that is more than likely going to finish in the top three in the conference gives Bloom the edge there. It's very possible that Maryland sweeps these three awards. Right, and I think one big factor that we haven't mentioned yet is winning, right? I mean, if Maryland runs away with the Big Ten, if that happens, you get a much better shot at winning all these awards. I mean, freshman of the year, if Tyler Blome finishes 9-4 and four and Purdue finishes below 500 in the Big Ten, I think you're more inclined to give it to the guy on the winning team. Right, and that was a big reason, I think, why Tyler J was given that 2015 Big Ten Pitcher of the Year award. First off, Tyler J had a phenomenal season. There's no, I don't want to take anything away from him, but Illinois also finished the year on a 27-game winning streak that Maryland snapped in the Big Ten tournament, and that doesn't go unnoticed, I think. So even for a Shawaran spectacular season that year and all the records it broke, Tyler J was certainly deserving. That's just really the only time I think Maryland has had a player come exceedingly close to winning that one of one of those three accolades at the end of the year. Right, and we'll see this year, but it, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time right now to see what's going on. I mean, Maryland's got some tremendous players who have had outstanding seasons. If there were a Big Ten Reliever of the Year award, I think Maryland might have three guys in that conversation. There have been a lot of Terps who have stepped up. Well, that was the one thing I noticed from this weekend, and, and John Sheff said this after oh, the game on yeah. Sunday. This was the quote that really owed my eyes how phenomenal it was that the combination of Ryan Selmer, Andrew Miller, and Ryan Hill threw a total of four pitches. And you can throw Racino the entire in there weekend. The entire weekend threw four pitches. Right. I, I think you, you can throw Racino in there, but if you look at the whole body of this season, it's those three relievers right. that have been a big part of Maryland's bullpen success. So you look at those three first. And for them to throw four pitches in Maryland to get a sweep says a ton about the starting pitching. says a ton about the offense, too, that there weren't necessarily tight ball games except for Friday, which Schaefer pretty much pitched the entire way. Right, and it sets you up for this midweek as well because we both know the Terps have had a ton of trouble with starting pitching in the midweek. They've had to use a lot of bullpen, and all these guys are super well-rested. I saw Racino after the game yesterday was throwing a bullpen because he didn't get in the game. Hill didn't pitch. Miller didn't pitch. Selmer didn't pitch, so I'm sure they threw at some point this weekend the old quote, getting your work in. Um, they, I'm sure they did that, but everyone's well-rested for this upcoming midweek and then Michigan State next weekend, which is a pretty big series. Because of the Big Ten standings, the Terps are just percentage points behind Minnesota right now, but the team I'm really looking at is Michigan, who's coming off a sweep at home against a ranked Oklahoma team out of conference. And if you look at Michigan's schedule the rest of the way, I mean, anything can happen in college baseball, but I personally think there's a decent chance Michigan doesn't lose another game this year. They have wow. a very favorable schedule. Well, they are. They're 13th, they're 13th in the country as of the last rankings that came out today. Maryland unranked in the latest top 25, although in some ways it seems like Maryland has preferred that outside-looking-in approach this season. But I think if you look at Maryland's schedule going forward as well, especially in conference, a home series against Michigan State, a team that looks good on paper but hasn't necessarily been successful this season, you go to Indiana, a Hoosier team that struggled. You go to Illinois, an Illini team that struggled. Then you're home against Northwestern to finish off conference play. These are all these are four teams right now that are in 
pretty much the bottom half of the league, there's a good chance that Maryland, you know, does very well towards the end of conference play and makes a strong run, especially when they're playing at home 15-1 and at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. Right. I just think the tough one's going to be the weekend series at Indiana, who took two of three from Minnesota this weekend. So they're a pretty good team. And just to go back to two points quickly, uh, the rankings situation, if you looked at it, I believe it was something like nobody ranked between 18 and 25 lost more than one game this weekend. So there was really just not a lot of movement, not a lot of right. space to be there open. There just wasn't an opportunity. And, yes, Maryland's schedule is pretty favorable down the stretch. And just to touch on the point I made a moment ago about Michigan, I mean, they have Michigan State at home, Indiana at home, at Rutgers, Ohio State at home, a couple games with Central Michigan, at Purdue, Eastern Michigan. So it's not so difficult. No, and I, I think that's the big reason why you see these teams in the Big Ten scheduling so tough out of conference, and I think that's going to pay big dividends down the stretch. Even though they didn't start the season very strong, they finished their out-of-conference schedule very, very well, setting up that RPI nicely going into the end of the season. Now, we've talked a lot about guys that might win Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year. A guy that's making a late push for all Big Ten is A.J. Lee, a guy who has really turned it on the month of April. He's got three multi-hit games, four multi-hit games this month, four for four with four runs scored, five RBIs on Sunday, the best offensive game of his career. Just this week alone, 467 his average with two home runs, doubling his season total. So we spoke to A.J. Lee this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast about a lot of things, walk-up music, big chance, the rapper fan. We talked a little bit about the Alaskan League, his hot hitting, and, well, a lot more. So here's our conversation with Maryland third baseman A.J. Lee. AJ, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, I understand this is your first time on the podcast, um, so congratulations. You've made your debut. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's good to be on. Is it something that you've been kind of maybe looking forward to getting the call for? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, who does who does want to be on the podcast? I mean, it sounds like a great time when you listen, so who wouldn't want to be on it? There you go. There's our rousing endorsement for the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Maybe <laughs> you, too, can be on the podcast someday, like AJ. All it might take is a two-home run game the day prior. The first one, it looked on the video like you knew it was going out. Tripped over the bat a little bit. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. second one, did you know? Yeah, I had a good idea on the second one. Uh, I just tried not to trip over the bat like I did on the first one because I, <laughs> I got a lot of heat for that after the game. So I tried to get that out of the way, get the bat out of the way. And I, I had a pretty good idea it was gone, so I liked to enjoy it when, I, when it went over. So it was a good time. Well, I saw the, the tweet that Kevin Smith sent out that, you know, you got to work on your bat flips. <laughs> he, he giving you any lessons? Oh, he hasn't given me any lessons yet. Maybe he'll give me some lessons at practice on Tuesday on how on how to actually bat flip. Because he's, I mean, he's hit a good amount of homers, so I know he I know he knows what he's doing. So hopefully he can give me some pointers. But that Sunday game for you against Penn State, four for four, four runs scored, five RBIs. I think it's safe to say, AJ. I don't know if you've had a better offensive game in your baseball career. Maybe in high school. Uh, I don't even know if I've had a better offensive game in high school. I mean, I felt pretty good at the plate yesterday. I mean, I was. Seeing, seeing the ball pretty well, scoring it up. And so, I mean, I think it was just me finding holes and getting knocks. I don't know if I – that might have been one of my best offensive games, definitely in my college career, but in my career in general. Now, we've seen a pretty decent turnaround for you offensively from last year to this year. I mean, you're hitting 303 now, a batting average up over 300, on base percentage up over 400. And it looks like it's really started to click the last couple of weeks. What do you think changed? 
Uh, I think just my mindset changed. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I was a little passive on especially balls early in the count, like fastballs, just attacking them. And I think over the past couple of weeks, I've just got it into my mind that I'm like my, my skill set's going to beat the guy who's on the mound no matter who's up there. And I think just having that aggressive mentality gives me the confidence to know that I'm going to get the job done no matter what the situation is or what the count or what time of the game. So I think just having that aggressive mentality has really helped me succeed in the past couple of weeks and helped me turn things around a little bit. Now, do you think there's a part of it, and this is a kind of an interesting discussion, I think. Do you think there's a part of it when you're hitting ninth that you're protected almost by Jankarski, Gum, Costas, Dunn, all of them hitting behind you? I think I think that has a little bit to do with it. Yeah, I mean, me hitting lower in the order, people are going to want to attack me with the, with come at me right away with fastballs early in the count just so they can try to get me out to not have maybe have to see uh, the top of the order. So I think knowing that I am more aggressive early in the count, like like I said, getting fastballs, people come at me with a lot with fastballs, so I like to attack those early in the count. And I think that's what I've done a pretty good job with of, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and that's why I've had a good amount of success. It's almost as if you know pitchers are looking at the 7-8-9 slots where you've kind of been for most of the season saying, oh, 7-8-9, we can throw this guy a bunch of fastballs and he'll roll over on one. But you've kind of taken that and said, okay, fine, yeah, throw me the fastball. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think our team in general is based on hitting, hitting fastballs out over the plate early in the count, and I think that's what I've been getting a lot of, especially being in the bottom third of the order for the majority of the, for the, majority of the year. Uh, I think that's I've been getting a lot of those, and I just like to hammer those when they throw them because those are mistakes, and just hit, hit them hard and flat and see what happens. Now, the book on you, or I, so to speak, coming into this season and last year too was that you know, you were a defensive wizard and you were going to take what you were going to get when it came to, to offense at the plate. Some defensive struggles last year, some defensive struggles earlier this season. Have you kind of become more comfortable over at third base? Uh, I think just just getting uh, – working in practice, I think, has probably been the main thing, just talking with Coach Chef and getting in the mentality that I've got to, like, attack things. Again, being an aggressor even on the defensive side of the ball, like going, going to get balls, making sure that you're getting good hops – I think earlier in the year I was kind of a little, I don't want to say scared, but a little timid to go get the ball a little bit, being at third, have a little more time. But as the season's progressed, I've, I've known, like, you can still go get the ball even though you're not in the middle of the infield. You can still get the ball in the corner and still make a play, and I think that's really what's helped me kind of turn my defense around too. How do you think guys like Brandon Gum and Kevin Smith have influenced you, you know, on both sides of the ball with your defense and with your offense? Oh, I mean, they're 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 veteran guys. They've been around for a little bit, especially Brandon Gum being a fifth-year senior. He's he's definitely helped me a lot, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we we spend a good, good amount of time just working on swings, just us two, and maybe a couple other guys just working on swings, talking to each other about swings. And Kevin Smith defensively, I mean, he's he's one of the best defensive guys. I mean, he it doesn't get much better than him. So I think just being being next to him and hearing the little things he has to say has really helped me a lot, especially playing a new position this year. Uh, for a majority of the time, uh, he's definitely helped me like change my defense around, and both my offensive and my defensive game have both progressed much because of them. Now, with the swing stuff, I know Kevin Smith and Brandon Gum, they're both big proponents of things like bat path and barrel rotation and hip rotation and things like that, things that are kind of in the minutia of hitting that, you know, the fans or, or uh, people that aren't taking batting practice every day probably don't think about or talk about. How much do you buy into that sort of stuff? Uh, I, t I, th I think about it a little bit. I'm more I'm more of like uh, like a feel kind of guy, uh, feeling how my swing like feels to me each day, seeing if it's in a good spot. And 
Uh, I'm not. I don't. I'm not a big like uh, video guy. I'll video myself every once in a while just to see like different angles of where my hands are at and stuff like that. But I'm. I'm more of just like feeling how things are. I talk to Coach Swope a lot about just feeling, feeling like I'm getting back into my backside and making sure that I'm in the right position when I go to hit. And I think for me, it's just more of a feel thing. I'm not more of like a, a mechanical kind of guy. Just trying to see that everything feels right when I'm swinging and make sure I'm in a good spot. Now, when it comes to feeling, I, I, I would it's safe to say a big part of it is how you feel when you're walking up to the plate, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that song that you hear when you walk up to the plate, pretty important. Yeah, 100%. Now, there are three guys on the team, when when there's a song that plays through the stadium, I know who's coming in and who's coming to the plate. I When I hear Imperial March, the, the Star Wars song, I know Selmer's coming <laughs> to the game because that that's one of my favorite kind of pairings. Uh, when I hear that Garth Brooks, Louisiana song, oh, yeah. I know Maddie Nick is coming to the plate. Oh, yeah. And when I hear No Problem by Chance, I know A.J. Lee's coming up. Yeah. Can you can you kind of walk me through the process of picking No Problem by Chance as your as your walk-up song? Well, I, I'm I'm probably one of the biggest Chance the Rappers fans <laughs> you'll meet, and you can ask anybody on the team. I, I mean, I love Chance the Rapper. And so when I was picking my walk up, I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had a couple other ideas in mind, some some old like some 2000s rap songs. But then I was listening to Chance the Rapper. I was listening to Coloring Book, the album, and when great no, great album. Well, yeah, for sure. And when No Problem came on, I was like, oh my goodness, it'd be a sweet walkout. <laughs> so I mean, it was a last minute decision. It was literally. I think it was the day before our first home game, I changed my walkout. It was originally Stuntin' is a Habit by David Banner. And so I originally, and then I changed it once I heard No Problem. I was like, oh, I got to do this. This would be sweet. And so, I mean, everybody seems to like it on the team, and I think that I, I definitely love it being a Chance fan, so I think it's pretty cool. I mean, how much how much do you agonize over the decision of what your walk-up song is going to be? Oh, I mean, guys spend hours trying to pick a walk-up song. I've Zach Jankarski probably changed his walk-up song five <laughs> different times before he went back to his old walk song, walk-up song from last year. I mean, it's just like it's just like a part of your game. Like guys love to hear the song when they go up to the plate. I mean, it's just it's just like a part of you trying to represent yourself when you're going up to the plate and feel good when you're getting to the box. Now I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Other than you, who's got the best walk-up song? The best walk-up song. Oh, I don't know. Um. I'm a big fan of Will Watson's walk-up song, Otis. That's I, a good one. I, I, I really like his. Uh, I know everybody's a fan of Smitty's walkout, Lean Back by Fat <laughs> Joe. I think that's pretty good, too. There's 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 a lot of good walk-ups on the team. Uh, I, I don't know. if I, I would have to say Watson's probably my favorite. I met Fat Joe once. In Did a, you? In an airport. I was really? like I was like 10. <laughs> had no idea who he was, but someone was like, hey, that's Fat Joe. And I was like, yeah, he looks fat to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean you can't. It's probably it's probably hard to miss him. He's yeah, yeah, big. I guess so. I guess so. Okay, who's got the worst walk-up song? Oh goodness! You the can include the pitchers coming in from the bullpen here too. The worst walk-up song? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I I can't I can't put anybody on the spot here. I mean, I mean it's kind of you don't want to call anyone out, but I'm. I mean, if you're a big Chance fan, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you're not the biggest country guy. See, I don't mind country. No, I, I'm not. I'm not a huge. Not supporter of country. I kind of like country a little bit, like Maddie's song, Calling Baton Rouge. I kind of like his walkout. Uh, I listen to some country when I'm just hanging out in my room, but I am the I am a do not like rock music at all. Like heavy, okay. heavy metal rock is not my thing, and I, we have somebody on the team who has a heavy metal rock. Yeah, I think song. it's uh, I think Murphy's got some it might some be. heavy metal when, he, when be, he warms yeah. up. Maybe Price too. 
uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it might be one of them, but I I don't know. I just don't. I'm not a big rock fan at all. So I mean, those those kind of walk up songs, I kind of kind of try not to listen to a little <laughs> bit because I'm not a big fan. All right, so let's talk Chance the Rapper a little bit. Now I'll defer to you for a lot of this stuff. I can, I like Chance a decent amount, but I probably don't know as much about him as the next guy. But no problems. Like, great song, but is it your favorite? My favorite is it my favorite Chance the Rapper song? Yeah. Oh no, I th- my favorite Chance the Rapper song is probably Juice. It's on uh one of his mixtapes. It came out in 2013. Is that, is that a- Ten Day? It that's Acid Rap. Acid it's rap. on Acid Rap. It's called Juice. That's that's my favorite Chance the Rapper song by far. That's a good one. So I I have all I have all the stuff. I couldn't name it off the top of my head. Have you ever listened to his remake of the theme song from Arthur? No, I haven't. All right, we'll we'll have to I'm talk a, about that sometime. Yeah, it's, I'm gonna have to listen. It's pretty to good. That. You know, you know, like the cartoon show with, yeah. the, with the Aardvark and the big yeah, ears. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's like a theme song and, and Chance like sings it. It's it's kind of like subtle and nice. It's not not really a rap song. It's almost yeah. like a ballad, but it's really good. Oh, I'm gonna have to listen. It's to really that. good. We'll 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 talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. A little bit down the road, <laughs> down the road. But other other than Chance, what other kind of music do you listen to? Uh, like I said, I listen to a little bit of country. Um. I'm more of like I like to listen to like a lot of uh like nineties hip hop like um Snoop Dogg, uh De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, all, all those guys I like to listen to a lot 'cause my I used to ride to school with my dad and that's all he plays and so it kinda just grew on me and that's kinda what I listen to when I'm like on my own time. Okay, so going to school in D C Saint John's, what was what was your high school experience like? 'Cause you weren't just a, a shortstop there baseman, you were a pitcher too. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, uh, I had great coaches up at St. John's. I, uh, it was a tremendous four years, and I think it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made to go there. I mean, I got great coaches. I mean, the school was awesome, had some great friends. I think it was one of the, some of the best times of my life. I mean, play, playing in a good conference in the WCAC, playing against guys like Justin Morris at DeMatha. It was great competition, great school, and I think it's really prepared me for, like, where I am today. Oh, they love you. They follow they follow Maryland Baseball Network. They retweet pretty much every time your name pops up oh, in the yeah. lineup, which this oh, yeah. year has been a lot, um, and really all that stuff, too. What's it like for you to now be playing with guys you faced in high school? Is there a little bit of friendly competition there when DeMatha squares off with St. John's and, and other places, too? It's definitely, definitely some <laughs> friendly competition but between me and Justin Morris when DeMath and St. John's face off in any sport, especially they had the uh, the WCAC championship football game right, here right. at Maryland in the fall. And we were – I went to the game. I'm not, Justin went to the game too. So we were talking before the game, just trash talking a little bit. And then we – St. John's was winning. They had it won. And then <laughs> some some bad miscues and DeMath ended up winning and I didn't It was a good game. It was a very good game, but I I couldn't live he couldn't let me live it down. I didn't hear all that's all I heard about for like a week straight was how And, and Kasim Hill is coming here. Yeah, he is. He pretty sure he'll be here in the fall, yeah. He's a senior at St. John's right now. Apparently he's pretty good, so we'll see how he does when he gets here. Do you know him well at all? No, he actually transferred in from Gilman uh, the year after I left. So he he came in his junior year of high school. He came right after I graduated, so I did. I didn't ever get to s- a chance to see him play. Well, maybe you'll get to meet him in, in the fall. Yeah, hopefully. But sticking with high school, also two DC Gatorade Player of the Year accolades for you. Yeah. What did it mean to you to win that that award? I mean, it means a lot. Uh, there's a lot of good players, especially in our conference, and to be recognized as the best player in the area. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I give it credit to my coaches just giving me the tools I needed to to succeed at a high level in high school and I think that just receiving an honor like that is really special and I 
was really happy to get it my junior year, and then when I got in my senior year, just was kind of icing on the cake, especially after winning two conference championships. So I think it was just a just a special honor, and I was really appreciative of it. Now I was looking at this a little bit earlier and yesterday a little bit. The other guy that won kind of in the DMV area, Gatorade Player of the Year, same time you did, is J.B. Bukowskis, who is down in North Carolina and is probably going to be a top 10 overall draft pick. I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw him. I think I saw him pitch a couple of times in high school. Never got to face him, but uh, he he threw really hard in high school, <laughs> and he was really good in high school, and he's still really good now. So, I mean, he was a good player in the area, and everybody kind of was feared to face him. So it was kind of cool to see how he was in high school and how he is now. I saw him a little bit this summer. He was up with uh, with Chatham for for a few weeks before he we went to go play for Team USA. Oh yeah, that's right. But you were in Alaska this summer. Yeah. Which I don't think people realize that there's baseball in Alaska. Period. But yeah. the Alaskan League is probably one of the probably one of the top two or three summer leagues in the entire country. So I want I want you to take me through a couple things here. First, you know, how did it kind of get worked out that you were going to end up in Alaska with the Matsu Miners? Actually, I got a call from Coach Chef. Uh, I think it was this was probably two weeks before I went to campus my freshman year, so the beginning of August. Uh, he gives me a call talking about summer ball placement, and he says that a team in Alaska is looking for a, a left side of the infield guy who's going to be a sophomore after that summer. And he said that one of our guys, Madison Nickens, I, who I hadn't met yet, was going up there, and he asked me if I would want to do and I said yeah sure I mean it, sound, it sounded like a great opportunity just to like get away from my comfort zone a little bit just to get out of my elements and play up in a place I've never been before and on the other side of the country and I think that it was awesome it was awesome one of the best experiences I think definitely recommend playing up there it was awesome it was what, really good what's it like and where is where is Matsu like kind of geographically Matsu is a I want to say it's 45 minutes north of Anchorage which is the main city in Alaska. There's, I think there's 700,000 people who live in Alaska and 300,000 of them live in Anchorage. And we're, wow, okay. We're, yeah, we're about 45 minutes north of Anchorage in a little town called Palmer, Alaska in the Matsu Valley. So that's why we're called the okay, Matsu Miners. Okay, so that shows what I know about Alaska. Yeah, yeah I didn't know <laughs> that until I got there. So we're, we're just in a little small town. Everybody loved baseball up there. That's all they had to do all summer, and they loved us. So it was it was a great experience. I mean, what's the weather like in the summer? Because uh, obviously it's <coughs> freezing in the wintertime, but in the yeah. summer does it get kind of nice out? Yeah, it stayed uh, between, I want to say it stayed between 60 and 70 degrees all summer. It didn't rain much. It was pretty s pretty much sunny the, in the entire summer between 60 and 70 degrees, and it was perfect playing weather, not very humid, and I mean, we just had a blast. It was great weather, so we enjoyed it. The sun stays up all the time. All the time. Well, I know there's a game in the Alaskan League that they do every year. Uh, it's like the game of the rising sun or something, and they start at maybe like 11 o'clock at night and go until like 5 a.m. Is that right? It, well, they, I think they, they play two games in that little game uh, on that day, and the first one starts at 11, yeah, and they, I think they, they call it like the midnight sun game or something right, like right. that. Yeah, I've, I've heard about this. But we uh, – the team that who who does that little game who runs it they actually left the Alaska League and went and played in like the West Coast uh, mm -hmm. summer league so but they're still in Alaska they just moved to a different league and so we actually didn't get to play in it this year our I think our latest game was at like ten started at ten but it was sunny like it was four in the afternoon that must be like kind of weird from oh. like a from like a sleep perspective. Well, thank thank goodness we were in a basement with blackout curtains, so we we couldn't really tell what the time was. But I mean, when you step up, we would get home from games at eleven thirty sometimes from traveling, and we 
get off the bus and it's still sunny like it's six and a half <laughs> six in, in the evening and we were just so confused at first but after after a couple the month and a half went by we were kind of used to it so before when when you decided to go to Alaska you had never met Nickens before obviously got to know him a lot during the season how do you how did your relationship with him kind of change living with him in Alaska for an entire summer oh we definitely grew definitely grew close I mean he he is a hilarious guy he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met and I think we we got a lot closer over the summer, and I think that's really translated onto into the school year and into the spring season. We're just more close, knowing that we can talk about anything whenever, knowing that we got each other's backs whenever. And I think playing in Alaska in the summer really helped that a lot. Now you've got kind of big shoes to fill on the podcast, in fact, and I don't know if Maddie knows this or if I should tell him this, but the podcast we did with him and Will Watson before that weekend in Baton Rouge is actually the most listened to podcast we've had to date. Oh, wow. And I don't know if I should tell him this because I feel like it might go to his head a little bit. It might. It might. It really <laughs> might. Honestly. I mean, he he deserves it. He, he did a great job. You're doing a great job so far already. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I want to stay in Alaska because I've, I've never been there. I want to learn a little bit about Alaska. Obviously, you know, games pretty much every day, a few off days sprinkled in there. What did you do when you had free time? Uh, We we actually went on a couple hikes. Uh, We, cu- we hiked a couple mountains. Um, it must be beautiful up there. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. The The views are unreal. I would s- suggest going to Alaska if you have a place, to tr- if you want to travel, to go to Alaska in the summertime because the views are unreal. There's the mountains in the background of everywhere you're driving is unreal. Uh, we actually went on a glacier hike. That was an unreal experience. It's so beautiful up there. And we, we went on a couple fishing trips, not many. We didn't really have much time to go fishing that much, so... We tried to go on a couple fishing trips. Definitely did a lot of hiking and stuff like that, which was awesome. It was so beautiful up there. I know Maddie's a big fisherman, but are you too? Uh, I I'm not a big fisherman, but I know I I've, know how I've to fish. I've gone fishing twice in my life. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've, <laughs> I can count on one hand how many times I've been fishing. But I, I know how to fish. I'm not a big fisher though. I mean, there's there's a story that I like to tell people when I find out they, that they fish or whatever. I've told Maddie this a couple times. Gone fishing twice. The first time I ever went. I this is a this is a true story. I caught. <laughs> Half of a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> half of a watermelon. A half melon. watermelon. Not a full watermelon. A half of a watermelon came up on the reel, and I was like, all right, I, I guess this is it for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, I, I don't <laughs> Like I, I said, not stories. a fisherman. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any stories <laughs> like that. I've gone the, the times I've gone, I've never caught anything. I've had a few on my line, but they definitely get away. I'm not a, So I'm no pro or anything, but I, I like to enjoy myself when I go. It was a, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So going back to kind of baseball a little bit, taking a look at this season, we mentioned how you're hitting over 300 now. You know, how do you think things progress from here? You know, going later into the season, how do you stay kind of where you are offensively? Uh, I think it's just being consistent in every in every aspect of what I do. I mean, uh, sticking with a consistent approach at the plate, a consistent mindset, being the same guy every day like Coach Jeff talks about. Uh, and definitely I think, like, your routine and your preparation has a lot to do with it. Just making sure that you're doing the same thing every day to put yourself in a good position to succeed. And I think that's a big part of especially why in the last couple of weeks I've kind of turned it on a little bit and just knowing that my routine is going to be the same every day before every pitch, my routine is the same, and just making sure my mind's in a good spot when I go up to the plate. No, and Chance the Rapper certainly helps with that. Oh, yeah. When you hear Chance every beat, <laughs> I mean, that, how can I, you not I jam, get excited I jam to out to it up in the booth. <laughs> I, want, I want the song to keep going for a little bit. Yeah, I know. i got to take my time you a gotta little more. you got to walk up a little <laughs> bit slower for us so that we can get a little bit more of that. Yeah, next I'll definitely have to try that a little bit so I can hear a little bit more of the song. 
So other than other than uh, the chant song, and I forget the other one you mentioned um, that was kind of in the running for it. What were the other ones you were considering? Uh, I was considering doing um, "Father Stretch My Hands" Part One oh, by that's a good uh, one. by Kanye that's West. A good one. Yeah, and I think the my other one was I had two more. I mentioned uh, "Stunting Is a Habit" by David Banner. I was also thinking of doing "Moolah" by Young Greatness. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's a. It's I a, haven't. We'll have to exchange some some ideas here. Yeah, but it, that that was those were the three big ones that I was thinking about doing that were on my list. Yeah. Did you ever consider using uh, Chance's verse in Ultra Light Beam? I didn't. I had never really considered using that as a as a walkout, just because it's it's kind of slow. But that's one of the best Chance the rapper verses <laughs> I've ever heard. It's in my, my it's my life. favorite. Oh my overall. goodness. It that's one of the best features on an, on a song I've ever heard in my life. It, it's incredible. I mean, okay, so be honest with me, AJ. Did you think that I was a Chance fan? See, I had heard that you were a Chance fan. Oh, I you caught did. wind you from did. someone that you were a Chance rapper. Oh, it seems seems my rep is getting passed around yes, a little so, bit. <laughs> so I so I had a little little pre knowledge about that. So I, I'm not too surprised. Okay. Honestly. I hey, I don't know who's spreading that around, but I'll. That's certainly okay by me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Chance needs all the fans he can get. Some people don't really give him credit for what he does, but he he's awesome. I mean, you're growing your hair out a little bit. It's kind of starting to look like Chance's. Oh, you just think the, so? Just well, it's got that kind of uh, that light coloring at the top. Yeah, kind of like his does a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know, maybe. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I wasn't really trying to model my hair after <laughs> Chance. I just don't really feel like going to get a haircut anytime <laughs> soon. So, but maybe maybe it will grow out and look like hey, Chance. Don't, That'd don't be switch awesome. An, don't switch anything while things are working at the plate. Yeah, I know. I can't do anything. Yeah, I no, do the same thing every day. So we'll, hopefully it continues the success. So hopefully. Um, now Monty Wade, when he was here a couple of years ago, there's a picture of him. Uh, I think he was doing an interview before the Los Angeles Regional a couple of years ago. And you put it side by side with a with an earlier picture of Chance from a few years ago. They look exactly alike. Really? Yeah, really, really close. They, wow. they have kind of like the same eyes, like you know, placement and, and on their face and everything. Same kind of same kind of haircut and goatee. Yeah. Um, it's pretty uncanny, actually. That's that's pretty awesome, actually. I mean, if you could look like any celebrity, why not look like <laughs> Chance the Rapper? <laughs> maybe maybe you get a little bit of his ability. So that's that's actually pretty cool. I mean, he's got some pretty cool dance moves too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He definitely has some cool dance moves. I watch all all his little Instagram videos. His snap. I follow him on Snapchat. Have all that. He's, he's he looks like a pretty cool dude. So. Now I remember last year, that crazy game at James Madison. One yeah. It was like six and a half hours long with that two-hour lightning rain delay. Um, and you know, back at James Madison, about I think a couple weeks from now. But that that rain delay on the bus dance party. That's back when the Running Man Challenge was was like the big thing with Jalen Brantley, Jared Nickens. Yeah. And you were pulling it out on the bus in the middle of it. Are you looked at as kind of the best dancer on the team? I like to think. Are I'm you going to annoy yourself, the best dancer on the team? I will. I will give myself that credit. <laughs> I like to think I'm the best dancer on the team. Uh, I'm normally the one dancing at all the. If you come to the like the pregame BP when we have DJ Chris Styles on Friday nights, I'm normally the one who's out there getting hype dancing to all the songs that come on. So I like to think I'm the best dancer on the team. I'm pretty sure there's some other guys who'd agree with me. So, but who, would, who would disagree with you? Madison Nickens would disagree. He uh, would, he would yeah. definitely coin himself as the best <laughs> dancer on the team, and he is one of the worst dancers I've ever seen. Oh, sorry, sorry, Maddie, but yeah, you're Maddie, one I hope you're listening to this. One we, of the worst. We've dancers. given you a lot of credit, and but now you're the worst dancer. Still, and you know what? I'll, I'll, I guess I'll throw a little bit of shade his way too, because I think Ryan Hill still hasn't beaten the hair department. Oh, you but think that's so? A, that's an ongoing battle. I think. Uh, yeah, they, they like to get into <laughs> little heated arguments about that. Maddie will not give him credit no. for the best hair. 
And I, I, I think I don't... it's it's a fascinating race to watch. Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. think it's it's really entertaining. But I think I think right now Ryan Hill's got the flow working a little bit better. You that's think just so? that's just my perspective. See, I, I don't really I don't really you know. You gonna stay out of this yeah, one? Yeah, <laughs> I, I try to stay out of that one. I let them have their little hair competitions. I'll stick to my dancing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, other than other than Maddie Nickens, who else is the worst dancer? Jamal Wade and Marty Costas are two of the worst dancers I've ever really? seen in my life. Two of the worst dancers I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you you gave me that one like you gave me that one quickly. Because I, I I give them <laughs> I give them so much. Not pr- I don't praise them at all for their dancing. <laughs> I always tell them how bad they are, especially Jamal. Jamal Jamal Wade has the least amount of rhythm I've ever seen out of anyone. <laughs> he's ever. got well, he's got some rhythm on the mound now. Oh yeah, he's a oh, he's yeah. a full on P now, isn't he? Yeah, he he's is. a pitcher. He is. He's he's made that transition completely and totally. How do you guys feel about it? As as the hitters versus the pitchers and that kind of mini you know clash you guys have. How do you feel about kind of giving up Jamal for the pitchers? Uh, we kind of give him. A little bit of backlash for it. I mean, he's he, whenever he comes into the dugout, he likes to grab a bat, and we always ask him, "What are you doing? You're a P, <laughs> you're a P now. You shouldn't be grabbing a bat. Go go throw a bullpen or something." So we like to give him a little bit for it, but I mean, it's I mean, it's all funny games. He, he's doing really well on the mound, and we're glad he's doing well, and he's definitely contributing a lot to us. What's it like facing him? Because I know you guys face one another a little bit during the fall. Yeah, uh, I fa- I think I faced him uh, in the spring in our preseason because he was on my. My fall World Series teams and my inner squad teams, and he definitely throws the ball really hard, really hard. Has a <laughs> has a really good curveball. Well, we too. saw the cannon from the outfield. Yeah, yeah, he definitely he has a really really good arm, and it definitely translates on the mound. And his curveball might be one of the best curveballs I've seen. It's pre- it's really good, really good. And he's doing really well. Now you pitched in high school. Any yeah. any thoughts about pitching here? Like I actually Jamal? I actually pitched my uh, my freshman fall here. I pitched. The back or the last inning of every inner squad, my freshman fall, and I did pretty well. I did pretty well, but I just I just didn't pitch. I I'll just stick in the field and start <laughs> stay with the hitting. Stay stay on one track. What yeah. kind of what kind of a pitcher were you? Strikeout guy, finesse guy. Uh, I would just say I I just attack the zone. I think I would now just pound like, the zone. Yeah, I think I just like to pound the zone. I get my fair share of strikeouts though. I think I had pretty. Average stuff. Was it was it, was it was the curveball the strikeout pitch? Yeah, the curveball was definitely the strikeout yeah. pitch. Definitely my strikeout pitch. But I, I didn't use it much until I got ahead in the count because sometimes I didn't know where it was going. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes Jamal doesn't know where it's going either. Yeah, that's the same with every pitcher though. Sometimes they're spot on. Sometimes you have no idea what they're doing up there. So, well, it's, have it's you ever you ever seen Bull Durham? Yeah, yeah. Of course. So you so you know that scene. When uh when Crash Davis comes out from behind the plate and tells Nukalouche to hit the bull, yeah, yeah, he yeah. says, oh, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> and he strikes him out. Yeah, well, that's 100%. one of the best baseball movies. Oh yeah, for sure. You got a sure. you got a top five baseball top, movies. Top five baseball movies. Um, I think we're gonna have we're gonna have a uh, swoop on the podcast a little bit later on this season. He's he's excited to do a top five sports movies overall. But, really? But with you, we'll we'll just stick with baseball. Top five baseball movies. Uh, my favorite baseball movie is Moneyball. That's, That's my a good one. Favorite. Did you read the book? I did read the book. Yeah. Good, great book. I think the movie was really good, too. Um, my second favorite baseball movie, it's probably uh, Mr. 3000. You ever seen oh, Mr. Yeah, 3000 yeah, yeah. with Bernie Mac? <laughs> That's a really good movie. Then Bull Durham. Then The Sandlot. you got to throw The Sandlot in there, too. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Uh, it's called Sugar. Mm, no, I don't think it's I've seen It's about a, a, Dominican, a Dominican pitcher who comes over, and he's like, so it's kind of like a drama kind of baseball movie, but it's really good. It's really good. So when it comes to the Sandlot, also one of my favorite baseball movies. It's up there with Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, The Rookie. Oh yeah, 
um, yeah. all gray movies, but with the Sandlot. So you know when you're when you're younger, you like to think of yourselves as a different character. So when I was a lot younger, I was like, oh yeah, I'm Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Oh yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't want to no be chance Benny the Jet of, of course, I'm Benny the Jet. I'm gonna I'm gonna rock the PF Flyers <laughs> and outrun this monstrous dog. Now, as I've gotten older, I'm realizing more and more that I was probably a lot closer to Scott Smalls. <laughs> um, I wasn't look, I wasn't that bad. Uh, <clears> like I, you know, I knew how to catch and throw a ball. It wasn't wasn't anything like that. But you know, if you remember the last scene of the movie. Smalls is up in the broadcasting booth yeah. looking down at oh, yeah. the jet when he steals home. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll be Scott Smalls. I can take <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's actually pretty cool. I never even thought about that. But you with broadcasting now, I never even thought about that. Yeah, once once I realized that, I was like, okay, fine. Scott Smalls, he's doing well for himself. Oh, yeah. Not a great, not a great, you know, 10-year-old player. But, <laughs> you know, he seems to be doing good things for himself. He's taking Vin Scully's seat up oh, at yeah. Dodger Stadium. He's, de- he's definitely making a name for himself in the broadcast booth, Scott Smalls. So. <laughs> Good All for right, him. finishing up here, you know, talking a little about Major League Baseball. Season's underway for a couple of weeks now. You know, who? Give me your World Series pick. Oh, my World Series pick is my my Boston Red Sox. Your, oh, your Boston Red love Sox. Love the Boston Red Sox. So you're a DC guy. No Nats, no, no Orioles. Nets, no Boston Orioles. Red Sox. Boston Red Sox. All right, that's I, my team. How how did that happen? I don't know. I've always I've always been a Boston Red Sox fan, even since I was little. I've for some reason, I like all Boston sports except football. I'm a, I'm really? A, I'm a Ravens fan in football, but I love love the Celtics. Hockey, I'll watch the Bruins. I, I'll root for them. I don't really watch hockey. But and it I'll just came out them. of nowhere that you started rooting for Boston teams. Well, I rooted for the Celtics when I was little because I'm a big Paul Pierce fan. Okay, like I mean, he's, of, the, he's the truth. Yeah, one of the biggest Paul Pierce fans you'll ever meet. So that's why I started rooting for the Celtics. And I, that was a big, I was a big KG guy. Oh really? He was on the cover of Backyard Basketball oh, 2001. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When he was on the the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves. Oh, he was my favorite player. <laughs> Still yeah. is one of my favorite players. Oh yeah, he's a good one too. They when they were on the team together. That team was close to unstoppable. They were pretty good. Yeah. But just randomly, Boston teams. Yeah. Just came out of nowhere. Except for football, I've always been a. I was a big Ray Lewis fan, so I had like the Ravens. Mm-hmm. But I've liked all other Boston sports. I used to be. When I was growing up, I was a big T- Dustin Pedroia fan, even though he's not my favorite player. I loved the way he played when I was growing up in Little League and stuff like that. So I've always just been a diehard Red Sox fan. So who do you, who do you look up to now, Major League perspective? In terms of favorite player? Favorite player, guy, you know, who you kind of model your game after if there is a guy. Yeah. Guy you learn from the most. Well, I've all, I've my favorite player has always been Jose Reyes. Of all, oh, big Jose Reyes he's guy. always been my favorite player. You know, I, mean, I grew up a Mets fan. Oh, really? Still, still a Mets fan. Oh yeah, I mean, you have to love Jose Reyes. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a really good Met, and I mean, he's a really good shortstop. I played shortstop all my life, and he was a switch hitter. I used to switch hit when I was little, just trying it out. Yeah, trying I tried to be that like once. <laughs> How'd that work out? You know, better than expected, but you know, let let me put it this way: I wasn't a great right-handed hitter, and I was. Pretty much just as good left-handed, which is to say not very good at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tried switch hitting. It didn't work out, so now I just hit right-handed. But I, I love Jose Reyes. He's phenomenal fielder at shortstop, and I've always just tried to model my game after him a little bit. Any any other guys? You know, you watch Xander Bogarts at all now now that he's with the Red Sox and playing shortstop? Yeah, I like, I like Xander Bogarts. I mean, he's more of a he's more of a, a hitter than a shortstop, I think, and I'm more of a defensive guy first. But I think – if I had the batting average says otherwise. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's just been a little lately, but through my whole career I've just been a defen- kind of defensive first guy and I think if I had to pick another guy to model my game after a little bit it'd probably be Francisco Lindor. Just, oh, he's fun to watch. Yeah, he's he's unreal, unreal with the glove and I mean, who wouldn't want to be a big leaguer like him? Yeah. So so as a DC guy, 
you know, rooting for Boston teams, you got to catch some flack from the guys who grew up around here that are O's fans, Nats fans. So are the Red Sox going to beat the Nats in the World Series? Honestly, I don't even I don't even know if the Nats make it to the World Series. Oh, honestly, fighting I words. I don't know. I don't know if the Nats make it. I think that. Hey, look, I'm hoping for the Mets make it. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm with you there. Yeah. Can we get a rematch of '86. What was that? Mets, Mets, Mets Red, Red Sox. Sox? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, the the Mets definitely have the pitching rotation to go deep <laughs> into the playoffs. So we'll see how they do. Let's see how their offense produces. All right, AJ, thanks so much for joining the Maryland Baseball Rook Podcast. This was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it, you know, your debut time on the podcast. Oh, I definitely did. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing no problems at the ballpark every home game. Oh, yeah, you know I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thanks for having me. Thanks to A.J. Lee for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And, Jake, the Terps got a sweep this weekend against Penn State, but there were other things that happened that were good for the Terps. Some teams they have beaten and played against got some good wins themselves, which should help the Terps in the RPI down the road. Michigan swept the ranked Oklahoma team. West Virginia got two of three from TCU. West Virginia is now top ten in the RPI. Well, I think you look at Maryland's schedule and the way that John Sheff set it up is that Maryland would play a bunch of good teams in the non-conference and eventually, you know, in the Big Ten play with Michigan and, and uh, a couple other teams like Nebraska. And taking games from those teams sets you up nicely in the RPI. Look at Maryland's win way back in March against NC State. That was a team that struggled to start the year, but the Wolfpack, they're now starting to round into form a little bit more and playing in that tough ACC. That win over NC State looks better and better and better, especially taking two out of three from Michigan a team that's now 13th in the country. The win against West Virginia, like you mentioned, they played the number one team in the country, or one of the top teams in the country in TCU, and did very well against them. The Mountaineers have been kind of rising in that Big 12 conference discussion. They've been playing really well. I mean, they've already taken three series from ranked teams as an unranked team. Right, and you look back at some of the wins that Maryland has, and they look better. You look back at some of the losses, like the three to LSU. You look back at the loss against UNC. And those look not as bad because of how well those teams are playing. Louisville. UNC, Louisville as well. UNC's top five, Louisville's top five, LSU's top ten. So we talked earlier this year about how Maryland didn't have many bad losses. I think now you can say that Maryland has two, Ball State and George Mason. I don't think the losses at Nebraska are bad losses. I don't think the losses, the loss at home to Michigan was a bad loss because you win the series. The only really bad losses Maryland has had is against Ball State, a neutral site, and at George Mason. And they have some series wins or game wins to hang their hat on now. I mean, the two from Michigan and the one from West Virginia, I would call the three best wins of the year at the moment. NC State was huge at the time, but the Wolfpack really haven't had much of a season by their standard. It's just barely over 500. I think you can also look at the win at Nebraska as a big win for Maryland. Nebraska is a team that's probably going to finish top 50 RPI, top three in the Big Ten, and playing at a tough place like Lincoln at Haymarket Park, that's a win that John Sheff will certainly take in his back pocket. See, that's a question I have. When the committee's looking around and they say, it's not like basketball in the sense where that's a quality win, do they look at the fact and say, it's impressive Maryland got one game there, or they lost the series, so they lost the series? No, I mean, you look at games individually. And Kevin Smith didn't play, so that's another factor i don't know necessarily if committees will look that deep into things i don't know if they'll look and say oh this player didn't play we can't necessarily evaluate this series the same way but i do think you know you look at things on a game-by-game -game basis and you say okay this is a maryland team who traveled 
pretty much halfway across the country and took a game from a conference opponent in their own house. Sure, they lost the series 2-1, to one, but they still took a game. They didn't get swept. But wouldn't you have been more surprised if they got swept? I mean, I, th I thought taking one of the three games was exactly what I thought would happen. Well, it was an evenly matched series, and it was one that we, we said on the podcast going into it that we didn't think we were going to see a sweep on either side. So I'm saying I don't think it hurts them at all, but I, don't, I also don't think they get credit for it. I think it just kind of just was what it was. I think you always get credit for a, a good road win. Okay. And I think that's kind of – that's not necessarily that, you know, you're going to jump out and say a win at Nebraska is, you know, a marquee win of the season – but it's certainly something you're going to get credit for come Selection Monday. Well, one team that's been very solid on the road this season is Michigan State. 10-5 and five away from East Lansing. They come into College Park this weekend, 20-12, and 4-4 four and four in the conference, and kind of a tough team to get a read on. Uh, they're eight games over 500, as we mentioned. So far in Big Ten play, they swept Illinois. They got swept by Minnesota, who's sitting at the top of the conference, and took two of three from a pretty mediocre Ohio State team. This week they have a midweek at Michigan on Wednesday, which does not count for the conference standings because they have a three-game series at the end of the year. But the Spartans come in to College Park, and it should be an incredible pitching matchup on Friday night. It'll be Brian Schaefer against Alex Troop, who is the ace for the Spartans, a guy who missed most of last season with an injury. So the Spartans have him back. This is a Spartans team, Justin, that is really – perplexing is the best word to describe them. This is a team that lost a couple big pieces in Jordan Zimmerman, uh, Dakota Meckes, and Cam And Zimmerman's Beale. doing a great job in Detroit this year. Absolutely. These other, are other Jordan Zimmerman? Uh, different Jordan Zimmerman. <laughs> different Jordan Zimmerman. The, uh, the Michigan State Jordan Zimmerman is in the Diamondbacks organization now. But Jordan Zimmerman, a guy who was among the Big Ten leaders in batting average last year. Cam View, who was one of the best pitchers in the Big Ten last year. And Dakota Meckes, who led the nation in strikeout-to-walk ratio, or strikeouts per nine last year. All three pieces that Michigan has lost. But they had a ton of guys returning. Alex Trub among them. Brandon Hughes up there as well. Marty Bikina, Chad Roskelly. Dan Shimaluski, who hasn't had the best year, but now turning things on. These are guys that were really strong for Jake Boss Jr. last year. Not to mention a guy like Ethan Landon, who was phenomenal last year in, in the starts that he was getting hasn't had the best year this year that's where I think Michigan State has struggled is in the pitching not necessarily the, the hitting but it's a team that on paper you look at them and you say hmm I thought they were better than their record shows I agree with that I do see some similarities between Maryland and Michigan State as a team the Spartans hit 293 which is up there in the Big Ten they have a bunch of guys who drive in runs four players who have over 22 RBIs this year they have their leading hitter is Brandon Hughes. He started every game, four homers, 28 RBIs, and he's also stolen 18 bases. So he is really a spark plug for them. And they Hughes was a guy last year in the series in East Lansing, hit over 500 for that weekend. He really terrorized Maryland from an offensive perspective. And once he gets on base, I mean, all heck can break loose. He's a tremendous base runner. And then Michigan State, out of the bullpen, has a number of guys with really good ERAs, and you look at a guy like Walter Borkovich, who is four and two on the year. He's made 16 appearances and a 1.82 ERA. Kind of reminds me of Ryan Hill because he's actually third on the team in innings, but he's a reliever. So he's kind of that long man when a starter doesn't go deep. He can give the Spartans some length, and that's why he has so many decisions. Six of them. That's the second most on the team. Well, Borkovich made a start against Maryland 
in that series last year because Cam View was coming back from a hamstring injury and didn't start that final weekend heading into the Big Ten tournament. So Borkovich started that game. He was a guy who was used somewhat as a midweek guy last year for Michigan State as well. So he has that length and ability to start games and go a little bit deeper. But I think you're right. If you line things up, Borkovich and Hill, very similar styles. And, well, Michigan State is taking Borkovich and trying to turn him into Dakota Mekas this year. And so far it's been, while pretty much successful. Yeah, and you mentioned Alex Troop briefly, but both teams, Maryland and Michigan State, have outstanding Friday night starters. And we've talked about this a lot, and I think it was shown this weekend. The difference between good teams and average teams in college baseball is not Friday night. It's Saturday and Sunday. We saw that this, that this weekend, Friday night was a great pitcher's duel between Sal Biasi and Brian Schaefer. And then Saturday and Sunday, Penn State just didn't have the pitching. And that could be something to look at this weekend against Michigan State. You expect a great game between Troop and Schaefer. Low scoring could go either way. And then Saturday and Sunday, I mean, the guys with the most starts other than Troop for Michigan State all have ERAs over four. You have Ethan Landon and then also Andrew Gonzalez. That's a 4-6-4 ERA for Gonzalez, and Landon's over five. Well, Landon was a guy last year who pitched against Brian Schaefer in that Sunday game, if I remember correctly. I could be remembering that wrong. Either way, Landon did pitch very well against Maryland last year and pitched well this summer is, you know, too. He was a guy who's a transfer into Michigan State, was projected as a guy who wasn't going to do a ton, and then came out and had a strong season last year. But Landon now their Saturday guy behind Troop. Gonzalez the Sunday guy behind Landon. Gonzalez pitched against Maryland last year as well in East Lansing and also pitched well. It was Gonzalez who pitched in the Sunday game. Landon threw on Saturday, uh, now remembering correctly. But that was a big series last year. It was the last series of the season. Maryland was away at Michigan State, ended up going straight to Omaha for the Big Ten tournament, and, well, didn't even know if they were going to go to Omaha. They had to win that series to go to Omaha, especially winning on Sunday. It was a gutsy performance from Brian Schaefer on Sunday. Schwarn had a complete game on Friday. Taylor Bloom pitched really well on Saturday, but Maryland lost that game. And, well, you look at guys with a lot of experience against this team. Schaefer's back on Friday. Bloom probably going to stay in that Sunday role with Bloom on Saturdays. You think so? You like that move? Well, I think now you have guys in a rotation. Uh, I think you had Bloom on Saturdays and Bloom on Sundays, but then when Bloom went to pitch in the midweek, it threw that off a tiny bit, and now that he's starting on Sundays and Maryland was successful and got the sweep, I think you'll see that continue. I can't say that for certain, but I I really wouldn't be surprised either way, but I think that Bloom has matured to the point where having him throw on Saturdays makes sense, and the way that Bloom's season has gone, having him throw on Sundays also makes sense. But truth be told, the difference between Saturday and Sunday is really just 24 hours. It doesn't really matter in terms of prestige or anything like that. Well, I see the difference as, at least in Maryland's case, you're getting at least seven from Brian Schaefer every Friday night. And if Bloom can continue to give you six, seven, then, look, unfortunately, Taylor Bloom hasn't given Maryland much length this season other than this weekend against Penn State. So if, you know, it... It saves the bullpen is what you're right, saying. Right, and you can be set and say, okay, it's Sunday, we can use everybody, whereas if Bloom, who this has happened a couple times this year, goes an inning and a third or three innings on Saturday, you don't feel comfortable blowing the bullpen before Bloom on Sunday just because there's another game. I, I completely agree with that, and that's you know a big reason, in addition to the ones that I said, why I think that Maryland will stick, Schaefer, Bloom, and then Bloom. Um, now, I want to take a look at the midweek a little bit because we've talked a lot about the midweek starting pitching this year. Maryland's ERA in the midweek is 19.20. 
There's is that good? It's not good. Okay. There has not been a single starter in the midweek that has lasted a full three innings. The longest start, two and two-thirds by Taylor Styles against UNCW. But Maryland's tried, you know, a bunch of guys in the midweek. Hunter Parsons has gotten a handful of starts. We saw Cam Ank in the second midweek chance of the season. Tried, you know, a reliever in Mike Racino. Taylor Styles, who had been a starter in the past, got a shot, and we mentioned his start against UNCW. We've kind of speculated a few times on the podcast about who we might see next in the midweek. Uh, one week it was John Murphy, and we ended up being right about that. He got the nod, or was going to get the nod going into St. Joseph's before that game got rained out, ended up getting the start in the next midweek affair. But this week, you know, what are we what are we expecting? I don't necessarily think that we'll see Hunter Parsons again since it's a one-game midweek. I think we might see a guy who hasn't gotten a shot to start quite yet. I agree with that. And based on the way things have gone in the midweek for Maryland this season, it's been that first inning where they've gotten behind by a bunch of runs. So if I'm John Chef coming off of last weekend where your bullpen was so well-rested, you basically have the option to throw any of those people other than your three-weekend starters. And I say to myself, who is the pitcher that gives me the best chance to at worst be 0-0 after inning one? And to me, that's Ryan Hill. Now, for me, there are three guys who come to mind that I would want to see starting this game on Wednesday. And that doesn't include guys that we've seen start already because I do think a guy like John Murphy and even Hunter Parsons deserves another shot of the midweek if Maryland is going to be successful later on this season, you know, come Big Ten tournament or, you know, potential NCAA tournament appearances. The three guys that come to mind for me, one of them is Ryan Hill, who started when he was at Grayson and has that starting ability. And, well, he seems to always come into these midweek games in relief of whoever starts anyway. So Can I just, well just say something with him. quickly sure, on that? Sure. I am beyond the point of starting ability. I'm at the point where it's just go get me three outs, mm -hmm. somebody. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, and that's why Ryan Hill comes to mind, because he's been the stopper of the bleeding in these midweek games, so why not just stop the bleeding before it starts? Second guy who comes to mind, and this is a bit unconventional, but Ryan Selmer is a guy who started a handful of games in 2015, including you know some big games in, in the regional and in the Big Ten tournament. Didn't have the best success as a starter, but if we're looking for a guy to get you three innings and pretty much unscathed, Summer has done that a number of times at the back end of ball games this season, so why not do it at the front of ball games? Of course, you know you then burn him for the back end, but you still have Ryan Hill and Andrew Miller to fix up, you know, kind of the final, you know, nine outs or so of the ball game. So I think that's an unconventional approach that I wouldn't necessarily expect to see, but you might see if the midweek struggles continue. Now the third guy is John Dignazio, and Dignazio is freshman left-hander. We've seen him pitch one inning this year. It was against UNCW. It was a scoreless inning. He didn't allow a hit. He got a strikeout. Clean frame in his first appearance for John Dignacio. He's a guy that I have heard from some of the players and the coaching staff that is essentially a fighter. And it wasn't necessarily apparent in the Fall World Series or the spring games, but it is apparent you know, during the Iron Turf competitions and during lifts. He's a guy who will be uberly competitive and really go after things, and that's a mentality that Maryland loves to see from its players. They love to see that that fire, that blue-collar mentality. It's, it's the same thing that Zach Jankarski has, that Anthony Papio has, that guys who have been successful in this program have come through and had. And Ignacio is a guy, you know, like the other freshman pitchers, haven't really seen what they have. But of the freshmen, other than Tyler Blom, he's the only one besides Elliot Zollner, who only threw seven pitches in Baton Rouge, that has gotten an opportunity. 
and I would not be surprised if John Dignacio took the ball on Wednesday. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, at this at this point, you wouldn't really be surprised about if it's anything. Pretty much anybody. No, I mean, at points during this weekend, John Chef's kids were throwing in the bullpen, and I thought they might be <laughs> warming up for a midweek start. But Dignacio, he's a big left-hander. He was a pretty highly touted re- recruit, and you mentioned it. You need somebody to go into this midweek game and say, I'm taking this personally. This is my game to show what I can do, stop what's been going on in the midweek. And Dignazio could be that guy. You mentioned he has the personality. And, look, things have pretty – He's a er- quiet guy, you know, overall, and that's why he flies but under the radar. But that inner fire. But he has that inner fire that you haven't seen yet because he's only pitched in one inning. It was a clean frame, but you can't really rest too many laurels on that one frame. The other thing I'll say about Dignazio is that – he traveled to Nebraska. There's a there's a set travel roster, and you can only travel. I think it's 27 guys, so you have to leave a number of pitchers. And they brought home. you, so. <laughs> and they and they brought me, so I mean, should I start warming up the right <laughs> arm? I don't think so. Let me put it this way: in high school, I was 22 out of the 21 guys on our roster to take the ball, but John Dignacio traveled on that trip to Nebraska, which meant that, well, he was part of what they saw as guys that they would use in a ball game if it came down to it. I think that Dignacio might have been you know, number 25 through 27 of those 27 guys, but he was still there. You know, he was still there along with, you know, the rest of the guys we've seen make midweek starts. So I think if you're looking for the next guy up in that conversation that hasn't gotten a chance yet, it would be him. I agree. And look, there's value in just trying something new after everything that's happened. And the the left-handed factor helps and things have gone pretty well for Maryland freshman left-handed pitchers or pitcher this year. Yeah, you're not wrong about that either. The other factor, I think, you know, you're playing a midweek game against William & Mary, which, if you take a look at Maryland's opponents throughout the entire season, is probably among the two or three weaker teams that Maryland has on the schedule. But remember what happened last time against William & Mary. Well, you can look at every midweek game and say that. Look at what happened against St. Joseph's, which, you know, if you look at the way Maryland's opponents have played, probably has the worst record among them. So you can look at the midweeks and say, well, these are teams that Maryland should beat, but look what happened. But if you're going to throw a freshman left-hander or a freshman period into the fire, better that it came against William and Mary rather than West Virginia or UNC or even George Mason. Or even that weekend at Nebraska. I mean, it could have been an out-of-hand game if he ended up coming in, but that's a tough situation to come into. So Also not necessarily sure he would have come in unless it was an out-of-hand game. Right, but I'm just saying you'd rather him pitch against William and Mary than Nebraska, no matter if the game's 20 to nothing or anything like that. I mean, pitching at Nebraska is very difficult. Hopefully it'll be something that can break him in. And all the stuff we've been talking about, it's also, no matter who starts, you're not asking for much. I mean, if you can get six outs, you can get six outs. Well, the bar bar certainly in the midweek starts has been lowered um, considerably. You're not looking for six innings anymore. You're looking for three because that threshold has not been passed yet this season in the midweek starts. Right. I mean, we we honestly don't even know what Maryland's midweek strategy is. Because there hasn't been a chance to see it because the entire deck has gotten mixed up. Right from the get-go. Right. So maybe they have an idea in their head that let's just go 2-2-2-2-2 or something like that. But And you certainly have the ability to do that when Hill, your three main right. relievers throw a total of four pitches. Right. And Selmer's gone three-plus this year. Hill had that outstanding performance last week where he gave them over four innings against Nebraska. So they can do it. I mean, if you get six outs from Dignazio and you can get seven innings from Selmer and Hill, the game's over. Also, I mean, I mean, we could we could just throw names out here 
for the next 20 minutes on guys who could start. Andrew well, Miller. There's not that many Andrew guys Miller got to start this summer with the Redbirds. Right. I don't think that's going to happen, but at this point, I don't think anything's outside the realm of possibility. You know who looked sharp this weekend? Jamal Wade. Jamal Wade is an interesting point, and he was a name that I was going to bring up a little bit later on. I don't know that he's a guy that would take the ball to start a game at this juncture. I just meant, I, I wasn't even bringing it up for that purpose. I'm, like, he looked really good. He's, he's looked very good. And what I noticed was that he faced, I believe it was six hitters, and threw five first-pitch breaking balls, which is not something you see from a guy who transitions from a position player to a pitcher, and he didn't do it that long ago. And the reason was because he has a really strong arm. So to be able to have enough confidence and control in a breaking ball that quickly is really impressive. Now, we're going to talk about this on a later edition of the podcast. We're going to kind of break down all of the draft prospects for Maryland. And Jamal Wade is very much included that as a pitcher, he's been opening a lot of eyes, especially on the radar gun with a mid-90s fastball and that big hammer that we talked about. So we're going to touch on Jamal Wade on a, on a podcast on a later date and really break down all of those you know potential draft happenings. But he's a guy that has been a very, very pleasant surprise in a bullpen that at the beginning of the season was thought to be solid but then appeared shaky. And I think you can look at Jamal Wade and say that right now he's your fourth or fifth option out of the bullpen. It's possible, and I think Mike Racino's pitched a lot better of late, but it, Wade's been someone who can just eat innings when Maryland needs it, and people don't realize the value in innings eaters. I mean, sometimes you're either up by eight runs or you're down by eight runs, it happens, and you need to get more, nine more outs, and Jamal's been able to do that. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens on Wednesday when the Terps take on William & Mary at William & Mary. So we'll be there for that game and then a three-game set against Michigan State this weekend that I think will be a very good home series for Maryland. I think it'll be maybe the, the best conference series in terms of competition for the rest of the year. I think that's possible, and we've talked a lot about Maryland's opponents, you know, Penn State, Rutgers, in the way of Maryland needs to sweep these teams, and not at all saying the Terps don't want to sweep Michigan State, but they are the kind of team that if you take two of three, you take two of three. So we'll wrap things up on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Again, the Terps back in action on Wednesday. That's at William & Mary. First pitch is scheduled for 4 o'clock. We'll get started at 3.30 with Terps pregame. Be sure to turn in for interviews with coaches and players. Then this weekend, a series against the Spartans of Michigan State in College Park, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday at 6.30, Saturday at 2 o'clock, Sunday at 1. Again, we'll get started 30 minutes before first pitch of every single game this season. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, at MDBaseballNet, for the latest news and updates. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. If you like what you heard this time around, and of course you do because you're still listening, you can hit that subscribe button in, in iTunes, and well, leave us a review. Let us know what you liked, didn't like, or what you'd like to hear more of. We're always looking for ways that we can improve pretty much everything that we do, including this podcast. So hit subscribe or tell your friends about it and make them Maryland baseball fans as well. Before we wrap things up, I want to give a special shout-out to Tom Hogan, who had a phenomenal fan presence from what I hear this weekend in College Park. One of Zach Jankarski's high school friends and now goes to Penn State and came down for the weekend series and really was a nuisance to Penn State fans. So I want to give him a special shout-out because I think he deserves it. Yeah, he got a lot of love on social media, and he saw Zach hit that big home run Friday night. It was a great weekend, and he certainly deserves some praise. Also a shout-out to Crumbs, the rally squirrel. Terps are 15-1 at home. Maybe he's a reason why. 
Or maybe it's my 11-0 record on the call. <laughs> That'll, we'll wrap things up right there. Thanks for joining us in this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Again, 4 o'clock to start on Wednesday. We'll get started at 3.30. Special thanks to A.J. Lee for joining us this time around. For Justin Galanti, I'm Jay Geisenberg. So long.